My mother was dying, and my girlfriend took that opportunity to cheat on me with a random guy that recently joined her friend group because she knew that I would be distracted with my mother's death. I was the one that walked in on them and saw it with my own eyes, but they didn't see me. So I decided to come up with a plan to literally destroy their lives permanently and do it in a way that they would never know that I was the one behind it. Here's what happened. Subscribe to Am I the Jerk on YouTube and hit the bell to turn on notifications. I will have to reveal and admit a few things about myself I'd rather not and I'm not proud of. If you hate or struggle with reading, then don't even continue. My story is unfortunately true, and I would not wish my life upon anyone, not even those I chose to seek out revenge upon. When I was 18 years old, my father suffered a debilitating stroke and could never work or drive again. I volunteered to look after him as my mother had a full-time job. My family needed her to keep working. Sadly, exactly one year to the day of his stroke, he passed away after enduring a triple bypass. I lost it, as we used to say back in the day, and it changed something inside of me. I had lived a somewhat sheltered life due to regularly attending church and church activities. When my father passed, if I wanted to go to college, I would have to pay for it out of pocket. I did not qualify for any loans, thankfully in retrospect. I got a menial job and began to party at age 19, having never tasted alcohol, done illegal substances, or have ever done the deed before. I had been bullied quite a bit growing up. I had developed very late and always looked several years younger than my friends. At a party one night, I met a guy several years older than me. We'll call him Benji. He asked me to come by after my shift and my terrible minimum wage job the next day and I agreed. When I arrived, he brought me into his house where two of his friends were busy snorting through a table of white powder. I'd seen illegal substances in movies, so I rightfully assumed it was coke. They offered a line and laughed at my refusal to try it. The reason Benji had singled me out was the fact that even at age 19, I looked like I should have been a freshman or sophomore in high school. The dealer and his guys had kids selling the white powder at all the local high schools. The area that I'm from had a lot of old wealth and trust fund kids. They wanted me to go to each high school campus each day and pick up cash while dropping off pre-weighed bags of coke. They would buy packs of cigarettes and put coke in each with a small initial on the bottom indicating which school. They'd gotten their hands on a cellophane wrap machine that would seal and shrink the plastic. Everything worked well as planned for years. It was amazing to learn how many cops, lawyers, and even judges were on the take. I did things in those younger days that could have gotten me a very long prison sentence or worse had I been caught. I quit my stupid job and worked daily for Benji. If I wasn't delivering or weighing, Benji and his buddies were teaching me how to blast gats, work out, or fight. They'd built a full-size boxing ring out back because they truly loved to spar. They sensed I'd been picked on a lot growing up. Even though I'd grown another three inches in height after high school to stand at six foot two, I was still wiry and not very strong. Benji was several years older than me and had been stationed in South Korea for many years. There, he took it upon himself to learn a form of martial arts known as subak, but he'd also been a boxer as well. The three guys loved teaching me how to handle myself. They teach me to master one move, then delighted in springing a new, never-before-seen move on me. None of this was ever meant to attack anyone, strictly self-defense. They wanted to be sure I could protect myself should anything bad go down and wanted me to be able to have their backs. Benji made me carry a loaded 9mm everywhere we drove. He carried a huge 357 Magnum revolver. Eventually, I was several years into college and had begun to sell to classmates. My mom was proud I was paying for my own tuition and books, never asking how. Yes, there are some people, albeit very few, that use money earned from unsavory deeds to better themselves, just as there 
there are a few strippers who use that money to get a degree. It is rare, but it does happen. What my mom never knew was the fact that I was making more money in a week selling these substances than she did as a teacher in an entire month. I drove an old Camry. I never bought flashy clothes or threw money around to impress anyone. I kept as low of a profile as I could. I finished my bachelor's degree in three years due to having plenty of free time. I initially wanted to be a lawyer, but I had known far too many corrupt cops and judges. I did study law with no goal of ever passing the bar because I wanted to become and eventually became a jury consultant. For those that don't know what that is, when a law firm has a client they are defending, a list of potential jurors is sent out. Television makes it look like lawyers decide for or against potential jurors on the spot in court. A good lawyer already has a very good idea of each potential juror's background before they enter the room. My job was to take each name and research any background I could find. The firm I worked for decided what was pertinent information for each particular case. The firm I work for has the highest regard in my area. I can research a lot of information about people legally through something as simple as an online background data site. In the much more recent past, I reacquainted with a high school classmate we'll call Shayna. I discovered that she and I both had crushes on each other back in the day, but we'd both been too shy to say a word to each other. Without a lot of pointless details, suffice it to say, Shayna and I became best friends, fell head over heels in love, and were planning a future together. Both of our previous relationships had been disasters. Mine in particular had left me feeling totally dead inside, believing that I was incapable of love. It had been years since I had dated by choice. My previous ex, we'll call Allison, had done things cold and utterly heartless to cause our breakup. I was nothing but good to her, rescuing her from a toxic relationship, never abused her and let her know no human deserves to be abused. When she stabbed me in the back and left me, my life was in total ruin. Finding Shayna didn't just give me hope, it made me realize that every relationship before her had been pointless. Shayna was the love of my lifetime. We were meant to be together, and finally were. Sadly, five years ago, I awoke to discover Shayna was not beside me. I thought nothing of it until I went into the laundry room to find her face down on the floor. When I picked her up, even before I turned her over, I knew something was wrong. Her body was completely stiff. When I did turn her over, I realized she was dead. Rigor mortis had already set in and her face was frozen in the most painful expression of agony you could imagine. I called 911 even knowing that she was already dead and long past saving. I really don't want to go into the detail about that night. Suffice it to say, the cops suspected I'd done something or she'd OD'd. For five hours, detectives went through everything we owned. I was questioned repeatedly the same questions by multiple cops, all while I was trying to console her mother with the realization that her one and only daughter was dead. The next day, I accompanied Shayna's mother to Shayna's neurologist. Shayna had epilepsy and her doctor suspected that she might have died from SUDEP sudden unexpected death due to epilepsy, which neither of us had ever heard of. Months later, when the autopsy came back, that was the cause of death. The next few days were a blur of misery, tears, and disbelief. Devastated does not begin to express how I felt from that point for many, many months. I will not lie, there were many moments I thought of and even planned to end it. I knew Shayna would want me to live and after seeing how the loss of a child had affected her mother, I could not do that to my own mom. I managed to face the future only by focusing on my mother, who was getting up in years at the time. I closed myself off to all friends and extended 
extended family. It was hard enough just having the fortitude to hold down my job and look after my mom. I worked out every day and did cycling for cardio. I took some Krav Maga classes to relieve stress, but I didn't even think of dating. And frankly, the idea seemed pointless. Shayna was truly, truly a special person with a beautiful soul. I knew I could never have that kind of relationship with anyone ever again. Eventually, two years passed and I met a female we will call Angie. We initially started hanging out as friends again, as that is what I needed the most at the time. But as I opened up about what happened with Allison and then Shayna, we got closer and Angie seemed to sympathize. We started sleeping together and eventually became a couple. I was still having to keep some of the focus on my mother, though I enjoyed my time with Angie. She seemed to appreciate that I actually listened, spoke honestly, and was protective of her. She said that she loved me and I admitted I loved her. I never told her a word about how I'd paid for college or the things I'd seen or done. Shayna knew and loved me in spite of it all. While I knew that it would never be what Shayna and I had, I never told or even hinted at that to Angie. Things went along for the most part. My mother's need for assistance was fairly limited. Angie knew what I'd endured losing Shayna and she seemed to understand the responsibility I had looking after my mom. Angie and I had been in a committed monogamous relationship for well over a year when my mother had to have some medical tests done. My mom had a leaking heart valve and the tests were done to determine if they could repair the valve. A week later, we received good news. The valve could indeed be replaced. However, we also received devastating news. While running the tests, they discovered four small masses in and around her right kidney. The odds were high that the masses were tumors and malignant. The doctors did a biopsy to discover she did in fact have renal kidney cancer. She began chemotherapy and I knew my focus needed to be on my mom. Things had been great with Angie. We were planning on moving in together. She lived in a town about 30 miles from me. When I told Angie about my mom, she seemed deeply concerned and supportive. When I explained it meant we would see less of each other, she assured me that she had no desire to put things between us on hold. She said she wanted to be there for me if in no other way as emotional support. I told Angie, in fact I urged Angie, that if she decided she wanted to take a break or thought she might be interested in anyone she met just to tell me, and I would understand. She assured me that she cherished me in her life and that nobody could ever take my place in her life. Initially, the chemotherapy seemed to be having none of the horrible side effects. It was well into her second month before she started noticing weakness and a loss of appetite. I talked to and texted Angie multiple times every day. She would message me asking me how my mom was doing as soon as she woke up each morning and we often spent hours before falling asleep talking and telling each other how much they were missed to each other. We got to see and spend the night together about every two weeks but everything seemed fine when we did. My mom's condition began to worsen, so I told Angie that she should go out with friends and have some enjoyment in life. As summer began, I knew Angie would enjoy going to outdoor activities even without me. My mom's failing health that summer meant no fun in the sun for me. Angie would go out with friends and I enjoyed hearing about the silly things she and her friends did. I was genuinely glad that she wasn't being a shut-in over issues in my life. She always expressed concern and sadness each time I told her what was going on with my mom. The chemo was in fact killing the cancer cells. However, she was growing more and more frail. I realized the cancer was no longer killing my mom. The medicine was. I needed to take a break, so a group of ladies from my mom's church came to sit with her to give me a little free time on my own. I called Angie as I was nearing her town. She gave me the address of where her and her friends were at so I could meet with them. When I arrived, I saw most of her friends, which I'd already met. As I made my way through the house to the back deck, I saw a guy sitting very close to Angie. They were both laughing and cutting up 
with other friends. She introduced me as her boyfriend to the guy, Will. He shook my hand, insisting he was glad to meet me. I was cordial to him. I don't think Angie suspected. I immediately felt something was amiss with Will. I suppose many people get a gut feeling when they encounter someone shifty. Due to my own criminal activity many years before, my takes one to no one instincts told me there was something shady about Will. I knew he was new to their group of friends. None of them, including Angie, had known him longer than a couple of months. I must be clear that I know now what I felt at the time was not jealousy. Angie had many male friends, all of whom I genuinely liked, but there was something I sensed about Will that made me a bit skeptical about his character. I tried my best to ignore it, writing the feeling off as mere jealousy. I began to talk with Angie and her friends, trying to put my mind at ease. I monitored Will from afar and interacted with him cordially. Angie and I stayed at her place that night before I had to leave to head home. Over the next several weeks, my mother's condition began to worsen, but Angie and I spoke and texted throughout the day every day. In hindsight, I now realize I was initiating most of our conversation, but at the time, I wasn't keeping count. One day, a few relatives volunteered to look after my mom to give me a break. I headed to see Angie, calling her on the way. She told me what restaurant she and her friends were having dinner at, so I made my way there. I was pulling into a parking space, and I saw Will get into a late model black Mustang. He pulled out, though he didn't see me since he was unfamiliar with my car. I made my way inside where Angie and her friends greeted me with hugs and words of sympathy and encouragement. We all had dinner and a few drinks before Angie and I went back to her place. Before bed, I casually asked why Will had left before I got to say hello. Angie stated that she had no idea Will had even been at the restaurant. The place we'd eaten was in a strip mall next to several other businesses. I thought perhaps he had come out of one of those stores and neither Angie nor her friends had seen him. At any rate, I again stayed with her that night before heading back to my place at about noon. The next day, my mom had become very ill and had to be taken to the hospital via ambulance. She had pneumonia and was extremely weak due to the chemo and susceptible to many ailments. For three weeks, she was hospitalized. They gave her many medications via an IV, but her condition worsened each day. The doctors finally informed me that she had at most a week to live. I knew she would not want to leave this earth in that hospital room, so the staff made arrangements for hospice to bring her home and help me make her last few days as peaceful as possible. When everything had been set up, we brought my mom home. Though extremely weak, she was glad to see her house and familiar settings once again. We both knew she didn't have much longer to live. While she was a bit afraid, she also told me she was ready to go and see my father once again after so long. I got one of my cousins to look after my mom for a few hours, got in my car and drove to see Angie without calling. I hadn't called because I was crying so hard facing my mom's impending demise. I wouldn't have been able to talk. When I arrived at Angie's house, I saw a black Mustang parked in her driveway behind her car. I actually didn't think anything of it as I was so focused on soon losing my mother. I used the key she had given me to enter the kitchen as we always did. As soon as the door opened, I heard loud music playing but still didn't really suspect anything. I saw no one in the living room or on the back deck. I walked down the hallway towards her bedroom and heard noises coming from inside. As I reached for the door handle, I stopped. I realized the sounds I heard were intimate in nature. My heart sank even further as I pulled back my hand, not wanting to draw attention. Her bathroom was connected to a guest room with an adjoining bathroom. I quietly walked around and into the unlit bathroom to find her bedroom door open. I stopped in my tracks as I saw them both completely naked going at it, oblivious to my presence. Honestly, my first instinct was to run full speed and introduce his face to the back of his skull with my knee. 
but I knew I had to stay out of trouble for the sake of my mother and my job, so I slowly backed away shaking with anger. I went back through the guest room, out of the house, and to my car. I hadn't been seen. I just sat there in the car bawling my eyes out. About half an hour later, I cranked my car and headed back to my mom's. I told no one what I'd just seen. Everyone assumed my tears were totally in regard to my mom. They of course partially were, but the betrayal I'd just seen was something so sadistic I struggled to grasp it. My logic knew my mom was my top priority, especially so close to the end. Yet I felt so deceived by Angie, I felt a rage like I've never known before, and I'd felt plenty of rage. I thought of calling Angie, letting her know what I'd seen and cursing her out, but I knew if she didn't care enough to be faithful to me while my mother was on her deathbed, a steam of profanity wouldn't bother her. I made sure my mother was comfortable and went to try and sleep in my old childhood room. I cried. I slept. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I woke up crying and cried some more throughout the night. I awoke to my cell phone ringing and saw that it was Angie. I ignored the call and the urge to slam the phone against the wall. I went in to check on my mom who was in a deep sleep due to the morphine sulfate they had her on. I managed to text Angie. I was very busy with my mom and would call her later. After forcing myself to eat food that I didn't want and eating a shower, the hospice nurses came by to check on my mom. After checking her vital signs, they regretfully informed me that my mother would die within 48 hours. I thanked them and walked into the backyard, trying to not totally lose my mind with all that had happened and was about to happen. I managed to text Angie and told her my mother's condition was about the same. I didn't want to see her, I didn't want to talk to her, and I didn't want her showing up. I owed it to my mother to do everything I could to make sure her last moments were as peaceful as I could. The next afternoon, just before 4pm, my mother took her last breath with me by her side, holding her hand as her life expired. The next three days, I was in a total daze, meeting with her pastor and making final touches on the church and burial service, but I could not for the life of me get the images of Angie and Will fornicating right in front of me out of my mind. The more I thought about it, the angrier I got. I was mad at Angie furious, but remembering how Will had been so overly friendly toward me made my blood boil even more. If they hadn't already been intimate when I first met him, they were soon about to. That made me want to know just exactly who this guy was. I opened the site I used for background checks. I hadn't checked him out before because I wanted to trust Angie and her decision making. I'd sensed from the moment I met him, he was bad news. I actually was angry at myself for ignoring my gut instincts. I knew nothing but his first and last name. It was a distinct last name and I had difficulty spelling it correctly. When I finally got it right, a link popped up which I opened to see an old mugshot of Will's face from many years before. I was once arrested and have done some despicable things in my life. I've known people who have done horrible things intentionally and under the influence of various substances. But Will had a long rap sheet for a variety of crimes. Several DWIs, receiving stolen goods, breaking and entering, and drug arrests were listed. As I scrolled down through his record, the arrests got more heinous. I discovered 
discovered that Will had been out of prison on early probation approximately two years after serving nine years. When I saw the charges, they included exploitation of a minor and several other offenses of a similar nature. I admit I was disgusted. Angie had betrayed me, which hurt enough. The knowledge she may have risked me to God only knew what diseases that felon had gone as a fiend and then eventually in prison made me feel physically ill. I doubted Angie had any idea who she was involved with behind my back. She had a naive trusting nature that had given her issues before, but never like that. I had no doubt anyone who knew of Will's record would have considered him a vile creature. He should have never been let out of prison, but I had my mom's funeral to focus on and had to pull myself together. By the time her funeral was over and everyone had left, I was exhausted and mentally spent. As I put my head on the pillow and tried to sleep, Angie called, not knowing my mom had passed away or that I knew what she had been up to. And that's when it was time to put my revenge in motion. It went way further than I ever expected it to and literally ruined the lives of both Will and Angie. I didn't want for it to go that far, but in the end, she deserved it. The next section is the revenge, and since it's very long, part two will be linked at the top of the description of this video. Part two is wild. You definitely want to see it, and it's going to come out the same day as this video comes out, so chances are by the time you're listening to this, it's already out. But either way, make sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you don't miss anything. This story is devastating. The original poster here even makes it so clear to Angie that if she doesn't want to wait around for him or she meets somebody while waiting for him, just to let him know. But the fact that she wanted her kid and to eat it too is just sad. This poor guy is going through the traumatic death of his own mother and then visually witnesses his girlfriend doing this with basically a random guy, some guy who just recently started hanging out with their group of friends. Something about the way that this whole scene is described reminds me of the movie SLC Punk, except in this story, the OP doesn't immediately engage. In SLC Punk, he basically jumps in and tries to beat up the guy right in the moment. And that's kind of what I thought was going to happen because of all the mention of the fight training and everything that led up to this. It's pretty unusual to hear somebody talking about Subak, which is an old Korean martial art, but it makes sense how that would have been passed down to him because the guy was stationed in Korea. I mean, all Angie had to do was say, hey, I don't think I'm going to wait around while you're going through this whole situation with your mom, or just say, hey, I found this other guy and I want to be with this guy instead. Because the OP even said, are you sure? Is this what you want to do? Either of these things individually can completely crush someone. And the fact that they both happened at the same time, the cheating and the death of the mother, That has got to be exponentially more painful. And that pain is what breeds the anger that we see in part two, where he really takes the gloves off and goes all out in getting revenge against the two of them. It's honestly pretty intense how far he takes the revenge. So make sure you don't miss that when it comes out. It's linked at the top of the description. Subscribe, turn on notifications, and check it out. When you subscribe, make sure to hit the bell to turn on notifications. To finish listening to all the stories in this series, use the playlist at the top of the description. And next time you live stream, use the cream of the crop music. Search for cream of the stream on Spotify or whatever music platform you use for copyright free music to use for your stream. It's free cream of the stream. Either way, thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you guys next time.